Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. All right, the year is 1973. The artist is Albert Brooks. The album is Comedy Minus One, and my guest is Janet Varney. Thank you for being here uh, at thank, your own place. Th- thank oh, you for, every time. God thank you it. for me being at my own place. Uh-huh. Thank you for allowing me to stay here uh-huh. uh, for not evicting me. You are permitted. Um, I appreciate it. No, I appreciate you covering this album because I know that it's been talked about before. Is that mm-hmm. something... Oh God, now I'm just hosting my own podcast. Uh-huh. But <laughs> but I am curious, is that something... I mean, there We do that all the time. Are there so many... I mean, for my generation mm-hmm. or for people older than me... Sure. Are there that many? Oh, yeah, there are. I guess but there I mean, are. Not but... what you're exposed to, though. I mean, there's, you know there's this I mean? chunk because this this era of comedy vinyl is the end of really, really good comedy vinyl. At some point, it just became all stand-up records, which is right. fine. Right. But, like, this is experimental shit. Like, yeah. this, this kind of stuff, no. Like, there's, there's not a lot of this. Yeah. You had him. You had Firesign. You had National Lampoon. Couple other people, but for the most part, nobody was trying yeah. anything different. Yeah. So no, it's not unusual. I mean, one month we did free to be you and me three times in the same month. Yeah. Three people happen to pick. Yeah, up. I was just wondering about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that's. I love the feeling of like imposing immediate pressure on myself. Of like, <laughs> is there something else I've never heard that I could pretend was important to me and influential? <laughs> Especially for someone like me who didn't listen to stand up. I mean, I mm-hmm. didn't even think of myself as a fan of stand up mm-hmm. up to and including like. Two years before I started my own comedy festival okay. with with Colum and our other partner Dave, mm-hmm. um, I just wasn't. That wasn't. I had seen so much. I guess I had just encountered enough bad stand up. Yeah. That I was like, that's nah, not for me. Understandable. You know? Which is funny because this album's got at least bits of stand up on it. For sure, it does, and I think that's it. Sort of the delivery of it, the same way that Steve Martin. I mean. He was, he, I loved, and I have his albums, I have all his albums, and I just didn't pick one, because I was like, ugh, I, quick, I already talked too much about Steve Martin. Sure, sure. But, um, but because I had the experience of him as a movie star, you mm-hmm. know, all of that was like retro for me, his yeah. out, his comedy, I had already bought in, and mm-hmm. so I immediately loved what he was doing, um, and, uh, and so the delivery of, like, the packaging of Steve Martin and the packaging of Albert Brooks were what made stand-up palatable sure. to me. Sure, okay. I, I was like, that. I was like, you know what, I don't think they like stand-up either. <laughs> like, I think yeah. we're all, this is all very meta, and we're all kind of making fun of stand-up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's sort of how I, like, talk my way into my enjoyment of that. Well, I think that's smart, though. I mean, that is the best approach. How old were you when you first heard this? God, I don't know. My dad, um... Was a huge Albert Brooks and and Steve Martin fan, so mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I had an awareness of them like really young mm-hmm. before I even knew why they were great or why I liked them. They were just sure. around. Like when you when you and when you look up to your parent who's cool and has a good sensibility, mm-hmm. you almost think of them like you know your uncles before you even know. Like you're yeah. like they're great. <laughs> why are they great? I don't know. My dad says they're great. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I can't think of a. I honestly can't think of a time when I didn't know who they were. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I was probably ten. Okay. Okay. When I heard when I heard this first. And you. Probably. When did you start like breaking it down though, and ma- trying to make sense of it, or was that? I would early say. For you? Well, I would say in high school is when you kind of. I mean, for me anyway, and mm-hmm. maybe why my podcast kind of uh, lives in teenage land sure, a little bit sure. is that that's where I feel like I started really kind of cultivating my taste, and and in high school and college is kind of where you like snob out yeah. and you sort of yeah. go, this is how I'm defining myself by this, this, and this, and I have to love it more fiercely and passionately than anyone else. Yeah. And I have to turn my nose up at other things mm-hmm. more fiercely and passionately than is necessary mm-hmm. because I am, you know, obsessed with my identity and kind of figuring out what things, you know, it is kind of like you're, I see, you know, we joke about it. Like you see people doing vision boards and stuff mm-hmm. and I have a certain respect for that sure. in its own way. But this idea of vision boards and like creating this collage of, you know, ideas or how you feel you define yourself. And I think high schools and, and college are really that those are formative years where it's not even for some kids they seem like okay I've got it all figured out and I like this and I'm making this but for a lot of us and I certainly was one it was more about like sticking things on myself it was like the kids in the hall are me Mm -hmm. this is me you know uh, talking heads are me Mm -hmm. I'm 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 all of these things well who are you underneath that I don't know I'm those things (laughs) you know what I mean it's about taking other identities and sort of creating that vision board collage of yourself and like projecting that because that's a way and now that's kind of what like 
Facebook pages and Pinterest boards are too. That's you go to somebody true. and you go, oh, I see who you are based on these things yeah. you just liked. And it feels really reductive of your own personality yeah. to do that, but it's also really tempting to do it again. It is. You know, and really I don't is. know if that's healthy or not. But I don't either. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I know. There's, I know. There's well, there's thing... so, it's so available now because you for can sure. create these bulletin, but these little clipboards for mm-hmm. yourself online. Yeah. Which I say, but I don't do. But... Right, right, right. Pinterest scares me. My wife does it. A lot, but it scares the shit out of me just because it's another thing where I have to prove that I, I like it, the right thing, <laughs> yeah. you know. And I don't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, and but it also there's this sort of filter, and we talk about this a lot on the show. Like there's this filter that you create for yourself where you intentionally wow. just you shove some dogs. shit out of the way. It's fine. I'm sure it, it happens. Guys, I have dogs. That's a reality. She's dogs. That's good. Uh, do they appear on your podcast oh, frequently? frequently? Okay. Okay. That's good. But uh, you create these filters. To for the same reasons you were just talking about, so you're kind of limiting yourself. But I feel like at the end of the day, like eventually when you get older and you mature, there's also this attempt to, for some of us anyway, to like go outside that filter. And that I feel like I don't know. Do you, have you ever felt that where you just sort of realize? I'm not wording this properly, but you go outside that same filter and you're trying hard. Like you were just talking about, you're like, well, you know, is there something that I can pick that, that makes me, you know, sound good? You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like, or right? just, yeah, or just fine, or just kind of, I mean, that's something that I feel like, uh, I talk about this too on the podcast, but there's this, this thing that people tell you, all of these experiential things that just sound like rhetoric when you're younger. Mm-hmm. And as you kind of collect the years getting up to that point, suddenly they stop being rhetoric and they start being like, aha, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, yeah. And one of those two for me has definitely been, you start caring less about, you, you care less what someone thinks about you stepping outside of that filter. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, you know okay. what I mean? Yeah. And so if you if you if you're known as being a person who's like heavy into hip hop mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you're like, you know who I love actually is Adele or mm-hmm. I'm getting into old erasure or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That there's a point in your life in which you feel like maybe you need to hide that or you have to sure. apologize for it in Definitely, some way. Yeah. And and some people aren't like that. Some people are loud and proud about whatever, whenever. But mm-hmm. um, as you get older, you're like, you know what? Actually, I mm. really like this thing, and I just don't care if you think that's lame anymore or yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. And you and so I think that's a, a flip side of it too. Is like stepping outside of it, just kind of going, oh, you mean I don't. I can surprise myself by something that I like that doesn't necessarily right. fall under the umbrella that I've decided defines mm-hmm. me. Yeah. It's you know? comforting. It's comforting. And it's also, uh, it opens your, your brain back up a little. Yeah, absolutely. It's the same way that I feel like I rediscovered like simple shit, like reading. You know, like yeah. honestly, like I no, didn't read enough true. oddly in college and then eventually sort of, oh, I really liked doing this yeah. a lot. And now I feel smart again. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, and it was kind of the same with comedy albums for me, which is, you know, why the podcast exists. So, do, okay, so you're 10 years old when you first hear this album. What was it to you then? Like that Wait, I can't have been 10. If it came out in 73. Yeah. Then I would have had to hurt. Yeah, actually, no, because um, I'm not. Yeah, all right. Yeah, no, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. I don't know why I was like. I was like, could I have been ten? I'm absolutely. I could have been ten, of course. Um, yeah. So it's the '80s, uh, and uh, it's the late '80s, I should say. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, I mean, I didn't, and I didn't identify as like a lover of comedy the way mm-hmm. someone like I know Cole did. I mean, I do think I think of Cole as being a young comedy fan. Sure. Sure. Um, and I don't know that I would have identified myself that way. Okay. You know, it's not like I loved Kids in the Hall and also all of these other things because I was a comedy fan. Mm-hmm. I loved Kids in the Hall. Sure. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or it, so. Same way like anybody might like a band but isn't going to become a musician. That makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah. Did you, I mean, did you know early on that entertainment was going to be a thing or was that not a Well, issue? I definitely was like a theater kid in the sense that I just, that's what I was most excited to do at school. But mm-hmm. I went to public school and it wasn't until I was in middle school that I went to like a real performing arts school. Mm-hmm. And it was still a public school. Sure. And um, so, you know, I talked to people who were in like community theater or taking mm-hmm. outside theater classes yeah. and stuff like that. I never did anything like that. Okay, okay. I was, I, I don't know that I had in general, I didn't have that much extracurricular to like okay. tuition happen or, or tutelage happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't, I, 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 I mean, again, I remember like one like acting class thing that some of my friends were a part of mm-hmm. and I, I don't know why I didn't, Sure. Do it, but I was like, "Oh, they're real actors." Okay. So okay. I loved performing, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I didn't. Um, 
I wasn't pursuing it the way some of my friends were in Tucson, Arizona, which is a limited amount of sure. pursuing you could do. Did you do? Do you know what the funniest stuff to you was when you were ten on this? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I loved the Muppets. Mm-hmm. You know, Sesame Street and the Muppets. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I definitely, am, I credit Jim Henson with my sense of humor mm-hmm. in many ways, and my dad. Um, I definitely thought that was funny. I definitely, you know, I mean, I, I started watching Saturday Night Live for sure. But I think I, again, it was like somehow I was more into the reruns than I was the okay. current stuff, which I guess in the late 80s probably it was not. Sure. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to think of when, there's certainly a quiet period when people definitely. are like, that's not the best stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, but I like, you know, I, I watched it when Kevin Nealon and, you know, people like that were on mm-hmm. and Dana Carvey and stuff. Um, what about from this album? Is there anything on here that you know remember finding super funny when you were a kid? Yeah, or? yeah. I, I, what I, I know that I responded very quickly, like we were talking about earlier, to the idea that you were sort of deconstructing a thing that people already thought of as funny mm-hmm. and kind of winking at it and going, you know, this is, you know, it's just very meta, and I think yeah. that's where comedy has gone since. And For you sure. sort of when you see deconstruction is deconstruction happening this far back you're like oh okay i see i see because now it feels like i was just talking about this with someone talking about like the difference between jurassic world and um the avengers movies okay which is like i think jurassic world felt too straight ahead and too like guys it's a big action budget movie you know what i mean it's for everyone it's for families and uh and and I think many audience members really notice the lack of kind of inside baseball okay, that okay. we've all gotten used to yeah. from things like the Avengers, sure. um, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. There's a sort of thing that's like happening in entertainment to me, not not necessarily across the board, but in a lot of places, it's kind of creeping in this idea of like, you've seen everything already. Now this is post that. And now you're in on the joke. Mm -hmm. And so I'm the idea of a superhero, but I'm kind of like, what am I doing here? Or Uh it's the idea of this. And so self-referential stuff, um, somehow feels new again. But then you look at something like comedy minus one, you're like, Oh, that's, that's a perfect core one person doing that with his yeah. album he couldn't he did could have just released a live album of stand-up and instead he's he's sort of like this is a experiment in stand-up comedy right. this is it's like it's like the him at the troubadour is a different person than mm-hmm. the him introducing the album sure. and kind of going like this is what albums are <laughs> when you hear the yodel you should turn the record over right. and you know creating and like really creating this thing that exists in its own time that's very time-stamped in that way. But when you listen to it, it's so meta that you're like, you almost feel like Albert knows that in 20 years, Mm -hmm. it's going to be funny and weird that you turned a record over. That's how it feels to me. That he's like, isn't this thing weird, people (laughs) of the future? You had to use to turn a record over. (laughs) Right. You know what I mean? So that's so much of who he was felt ahead of its time to me. And so Mm -hmm. when I listen to it, it still feels ahead of its time. Are there any particular... I'm going to just check this really quick and oh, make sure. sure it's functioning properly. It is. Uh, are there any particular tracks that... I mean, you've got, you wrote down most of the tracks. Yeah, so. I mean, I was just going to say, like, it is not a coincidence after everything I've just said that mm-hmm. the stand-up means the least to me. Sure. It's super funny. It I mean, is, the, yeah. the National Anthem, that's a very that's famous, funny bit. It's mm-hmm. gorgeous. It's it's perfect. You know, it's it's very him. It's very funny. I think that was um, Cole's favorite bit on the album. The sort of, you know, the him being on stage with the, the that Alamo-related thing where everyone's <laughs> chanting for the person he isn't. I mm-hmm. think that's something that people have kind of come to understand about live shows is like being the opener is mm-hmm. never fun or, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a very like humbling bit of stand-up that mm-hmm. he's giving mm-hmm. and uh and i always like that more than like a cocky yelly stand-up sure you know sure um but the stuff that you know blew my mind uh is de- and made me feel like oh this you know the stand-up's incidental this is really just a this is really who he is is mm-hmm. the sort of idea of you know i'm gonna do this <laughs> the kooky crazy calls uh-huh. made me laugh really hard um, just those ideas of like, here's this thing that people on radio shows do, or here's this thing that you ki- you know, kids do. And, uh, 
and here's my take on it and my take on it is like this is a really stupid version of that yeah um and that's really it's like sometimes i remember when i was working on this um internet series that i actually am super proud of that i love doing called back on tops with randy and jason sklar Mm -hmm. um they make me laugh so hard and when we would watch cuts of the show or they show me advanced episodes or whatever and I would laugh, I would, a lot of what I laugh so hard at with their sense of humor and that writing is I would be laughing but I would be like, that is so stupid! Mm-hmm. And uh, and I guess that's my version of a fart joke yeah. kind of yeah. is that, that I would say that and then I would catch myself and be like, you know I mean that as a compliment, right? And they would be like, no, 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 we know. That is so dumb. Like, this is so dumb, this joke we just made. Yeah. Um, and that's that kind of reminds me of that is the idea that, you know, the fact that he's doing this character voice and calling someone and asking for something and it's not being carried through. Mm-hmm. And like he can't he can almost not get through it without laughing yeah is so dumb right but it's so funny but he also gets away with it with there there's this weird dichotomy that i can't exactly place where if you want to go this is 73 so 20 years later uh irony and sarcasm were just such the fucking rage in comedy that it just became there's just no sincerity whatsoever yet i feel like this is a very sincere album despite any irony that's in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's true. Um, And again, that kind of goes to... Like, he's... And it's the same with his films. I mean, he's not interested in coming off like he's got it all figured out and everybody else doesn't. And, uh, And so even the stuff he's doing... I agree with you, like, in a weird way, for something so smug (laughs) as doing that to sort of... Because it is saying, like, we all know... That the real version of this is also really dumb. Right. It still feels like he's not saying like, and I figured out because I'm funnier than everyone else. Right. Um, he's still doing jokes about being like not a struggling comic necessarily, absolutely. but a comic who doesn't always enjoy what he does. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And you know, again, it's it's the the ironic stuff. There's a difference between like I like I doing something ironically and doing something in that kind of meta esoteric way which is he's as interested in in just the deconstruction of the concept of something as in he's not necessarily shitting on it just because he's saying you know um you know i didn't alter any of these laughs like those sorts of (laughs) things right yeah it's 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 not that he's saying like i'm shitting on anything that's the real version of this he's just like what if this is like one element like one one bit removed, like one layer removed from yeah. what you're used to. Sure. You know? Yeah, that's a really good point. Did you, okay, so now did you have, did you have this on vinyl so you had the whole script with it? No. No, no okay. I didn't. <clears throat> so when you listen, did you listen to the comedy like minus one? I might have had a cassette tape version of the album. I think okay. my dad probably had a cassette of the album so you still turned the cassette over mm-hmm. when you heard the yodel. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't think I'm pretty sure it wasn't vinyl. I grew up with a lot of vinyl around. My dad has an enormous record collection, but I just don't remember holding that okay. the way I remember holding the Steve Martin album. Sure, you know. Did it come with a script that you could? No, read? no I for sure. Did. Oh, I for it. sure was looking at a copy of a record, like a okay. like a like a home like a Maxell tape mm-hmm. that somebody had taped the album. All right. Off of. Did you do anything? I mean, did you listen to the comedy minus one part? Oh yeah, yeah, you just yeah. Just listen through it on its yeah, own. Yeah, I would just listen through it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I mean, Cole, as you can imagine, he's like, no, I had the script. Oh yeah, he was a participant. <laughs> yeah. No, funny. I just listened to it. I I think what I loved about it was that I had no. <laughs> I, there was no way for me to participate, so it was just extra weird. Yeah. It just made it so much more weird to mm-hmm. be missing this, the other half. In fact, it's possible that I didn't know that that was a real thing. Sure, it's, yeah. I think it's likely that when I was little, I didn't, I didn't know. I thought that all of that was a reference to something that's yeah. not real. Because once you start getting going down that rabbit hole of like what's real and what's not real, mm-hmm. I probably was like, oh, this is so brilliant because there isn't a script. Right, right. You know? I mean, he was, uh, I mean, the other album, uh, Stars Bought, has an 8 by 10 that could also easily be lost. You might be right in that he's predicting, wouldn't it also be funny if that 8 by 10 is lost? Wouldn't it be funny if the script is not in yeah. the, because it's not like it's attached to the LP. It's, it's because, real. If you, if you listen to it with no working knowledge of there being a, a real script it is so strange yeah. and 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 totally funny yeah because there are these just weird gaps that it's right. just all very strange 
Did you great. did you ever since isn't it is it George Jessel that he does it with that that comes on is a special guest I think so yeah so did you I mean did that make you curious who he was or was there this assumption that this guy's that character like I'm curious where your brain that's was a good question kid, that's a good question I did that a lot I think I, I might know. have just thought like oh he's some legit dude okay maybe okay. or maybe I trusted none of it maybe I thought all of it was completely made up <laughs> right right that's probably more likely actually. Did you, it was this, now this, when it comes to the actual influence of this album, did you ever find yourself like as a comedy writer, as a performer ever maybe directly uh, like aping this, like when you're early on or something? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm trying to think, I mean, I also, that's, I mean, in fairness, again, Cole, somebody who was like excited to write comedy Mm -hmm. when he was younger, I didn't translate being like funny in class and mm-hmm. liking doing shows to I'm going to write comedy. Sure. I'm going to write sketches. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. I think that was always hugely intimidating to me. Mm-hmm. I think I was such a fan of stuff like that, that the idea of me thinking I could ever, you know, like how dare I? Right. Right. Yeah. That's what, that's what famous funny people do. Mm-hmm. Not me. Um, so I wasn't really doing, I mean, I wasn't, re- I mean, did I do like skits and stuff? I guess. Yeah. But I wasn't, I mean, I made short films with a friend of mine, but he sort of like steered that. I mean, I was always the one who was like in the moment. What if I said this instead? Okay. okay because yeah. it felt safer than like, I wrote this thing and sure. pushing it forward. Yep. You know? And so I can't say that there was like specific writing that I was doing that yeah. I, I felt was influential. I will say though, that I think I was thinking about this, um, before you came over, I was thinking about how obsessed I was right around the same time uh, with its Gary Shandling show. Okay. And that feels like a direct line to me because it is like his television show was the TV show version of exactly what this album is, which is what if I had a TV show that I made constant references to about it being a TV show, but I'm also pretending I live on this set. Yeah. And I'm also pretending these people are my neighbors and best friends. Yeah. You just, I just happen to also have a, a live studio audience that I look at all the time and right. cameras that you see because I will walk past one and you'll catch a glimpse of the camera. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that kind of, that like, I, I knew that was special. And I don't think it's just because my dad was like, this is special. I knew, I feel like I knew inherently like, oh, this is something different. Mm-hmm. And I liked... Again, I really liked feeling I was in on something. Yeah, you know. Well, that and I mean, no matter what, I mean, even if there's no easily like again, if it's not gonna, if oh, I did a sketch that was like this, whatever, it's going to directly inform your sensibilities whether you realize it or not. And I mean, as I mean, especially when you do improv. I think today I was just listening to you on Spontaneous Nation, the live one, and uh, was it? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah that yeah, was yeah. the first Spontaneous Nation live show. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And it was freaking hilarious. And you, but you can hear it in at least the way certain of you guys interact that you have similar sensibilities. I'm not saying that everybody listened to that album, but you can the, the surrealness, the surreality, pardon me, that comes out and the, the self-referential nature of yeah. doing improv and admitting that you're doing improv. There's still some fun in that, and it doesn't come across as you know, as arch, which it could. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And I feel like there's definitely because of guys like Albert Brooks and Gary Shandling, et cetera, like that does come out. Yeah. You know, uh, do you, is there any kind of ethos to the way that you perform like that? Or do you just do what's funny? Like, well, cause I, no, I that's I, I as mean, legit that's as good, anything else. No, I think that's a really good question. I mean, I definitely think that I, um, like most of my contemporaries that I enjoy performing with, I think that there are things that I kind of, look up to and that I think I emulated before I knew that I was emulating and all, and all probably also things that are just very me mm-hmm. that I, um, but I wouldn't have necessarily known were in me, but I think we all love the absurd. I think, um, I think being able to shift between something that feels grounded and something that's absolutely ridiculous is very pleasing. I think that, um, I mean, in the case of Spontaneous Nation, that's like such an interesting experiment anyway, because none of us really have a lot, except for the super ego, super ego guys. Mm-hmm. I don't know many people who have a lot of experience sitting in a chair and doing improv mm. without an audience. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's been really interesting. And then taking that and doing it on stage for the very first time was mm-hmm. also like very intimidating in its own way. Um, and, but I think that, I think that the pure silliness and enjoyment of what's happening can really carry through 
moments of irony or moments of, you know, maybe you're breaking this improv rule, but you don't feel like, you don't get the sense as an audience member, I hope, Mm -hmm. that you're fucking somebody by doing that. Or that you're doing it in, that you're doing it in any kind of, you know, a a negative way towards your, your fellow improvisers or towards yourself i think Mm -hmm. if there's sort of a line of authenticity that's going through something whether you're creating this like completely fantastic world and kind of winking at the audience like what are we doing how did this happen Uh um but you're also not just checking out and not participating and just being Mm -hmm. like becoming the person who's just the bridge between you and the audience going like i don't know what's going on with these guys (laughs) you know you and i are in on this is stupid right that's not happening you know so it's still coming from like a place of respect all that stuff is still coming from a place of respect Mm -hmm. uh and those are those are i think our tenants that um i don't know that i've ever identified as artic you know articulated the way i just did but Mm -hmm. i think those are um really important and i do think that um the sincerity of trying to embrace being grounded even in an absurd situation in some way Mm -hmm. Um, it's a hard thing to teach, I think. Sure. But, and so I, I really look up to people like Krakowski who, you know, so expertly educate people to get there. Right. But, um, being able to, to articulate something like you're doing every day into a different group of people in a slightly different way that I don't get. And to have patience and like see something in someone and know that it can Mm -hmm. be developed and pulled out and all that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's. I think that's something that you see, and, and, and I think that carries over into, you know, Albert Brooks' films as well, that there's sure. this, like, very soft underbelly to everything he does, mm-hmm. and, um, and like, this deeply sincere, deeply sincere person mm-hmm. in there, you know? I, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a movie that he's written and, you know, that he's really helmed in some way that I haven't felt like, oh, there's a lot of kind of, you know pathos and gravitas going on here and not in this certainly in an erotic way of course you know you can you can draw that parallel to someone like Woody Allen or something but um I mean I would say that Defending Your Life is the best example of something that has like such a wonderful golden heart to it Mm -hmm. um and is very funny and certainly still lambasts things sure but you know, is is at its core just this like beautiful story. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's the difference between like what people like to call bitter or biting satire or irony, and I don't know that there's a term for what he does. You know, like yeah. because, to call something sincere irony just is <laughs> wonderfully ironic. But it is exactly what's going on. Yeah. It's this love and embrace of something while at the same time, because of my love, I really understand this thing. So let me tear it apart. Yeah. Like, but in an interesting way. Like you say, deconstruction, that's not that's not a violent thing. Yeah. You know, it's not yeah. tearing it apart in the same way. So it's a celebration of comedy in, in a lot of different forms. I mean, this is sketch. This is stand-up. This is whatever the hell you want to call the comedy minus one part because it's yeah. its own thing. That is not Inter- either. interactive. Exactly. Yeah. And it's and I know that that's also a tribute to the kinds of albums where you could like play along, sing along, like pre karaoke sure, stuff, sure. which is fantastic. Um, did you okay? So after this album, did you move on? Did you listen to? Did you hear this first before? Did you hear a Star Is Bought? at all i mean did you listen to that one uh I, it wasn't I something that i didn't like i it's brilliant and mm-hmm. i definitely heard it but i didn't sure. own it and i didn't it's not like I, this cracked open comedy albums for me yeah, yeah, again yeah. it yeah. was like i had a loyalty to whatever was right in front of me mm-hmm. for a long time and then i and then and then i was i mean i was definitely like a film junkie for sure mm-hmm. i mean i was definitely a movies kid maybe even more than television um and and I definitely, you know, I wasn't a Monty Python kid. I mean, mm-hmm. my dad watched Monty Python. That wasn't something that I ever really attached to until okay. much later. And still, I love them. I think they're sure. wonderful. But I came into them in at a later time after which so many of my friends, including Dave and Cole, had like worshipped them okay. from childhood. Okay. Yeah. That you almost feel like you have a responsibility, like I said before, to stay removed. Uh-huh. Where you're like, look, 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 I love them too. Now listen, I didn't grow up with them like you did. Yeah. Yep. But I think they're great, uh-huh. you know, whereas I like, I'm not to keep coming back to Kids in the Hall over and over again, because obviously there's some other stuff, you know, sure. she was to a lesser degree, Mr. Show, mm-hmm. which was later, but, but Kids in the Hall to me was something that I felt I possessed. Like yeah. they came on, mm-hmm. I was with them from the beginning, from, mm-hmm. you know, certainly from as soon as America could know about them, uh-huh. I was, and I was way into it and I, I just, 
I just like clamped down on that and, yeah. and owned it, right. you know? Um, but that, again, that's not, it doesn't mean that I was like, oh, I should find every sketch troupe that's ever been, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny in that way. Cause, cause that is an, that is an age where you do kind of, you know, gobble up. Like so I heard one Joni Mitchell album. I had to own all of them. Mm-hmm. I heard mm-hmm. one, you know, talking heads album. I had to have all of them. Yeah. Um, certainly true of like my goth phase. Cause then I had to like get acquainted real quick with a bunch of stuff. <laughs> uh, so it is like a collecting of things in that time. But, sure. um, for some reason that's again, it's like, I just wasn't, I wa- and I really wasn't watching any stand up. Okay. Yeah. At that point, like mm-hmm. I would turn on, I don't remember if there was Comedy Central when, when that came. I mean, I guess I feel like Comedy Central was around pretty early. Mm-hmm. I, and I would, and if stand-up was on, I would like watch a second. And then I'd be like, ugh, this just <laughs> seems so pushy. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And now I have such tremendous respect for stand-up. For sure. And great stand-up is, you know, just mind-blowing to me. I'm such a huge fan when it's great. Yeah. Um, and I'm very fortunate to, you know, walk in those circles a little bit, even though I don't do stand-up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, back then, it just seemed so... It seemed the opposite of what I was interested, which I guess was like scene work. Sure. And I did love Whose Line Is It Anyway. Uh-huh. I definitely thought that was a really fun show, like the British version. Did you like something about being able to see it happen? I mean, Whose Line Is It Anyway is an obvious example of they're constructing and seeing in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think short form is another example of uh, you're in on it. Mm-hmm. Somehow you're in on it in a different way. Yeah. I've never really thought about that before. I've never really thought about any of this before. Mm-hmm. About, I mean, I guess I knew kind of why it's Gary Shandling's show meant so much sure. to me. But, um, but when I think again, like not to, I mean, I could, I guess I could talk about Cole till the cows come home because he's one of my very best friends. And I've known him forever, but I think of him as being this straight ahead kid who, at the time, could have probably identified like I just want to be in on it mm-hmm. and I did it up. And yeah. mine was so much more abstract than that. Sure, you know, yeah. I love the kids in the hall, but it wasn't that I felt like I should jump onto the into the screen and be with them. Yeah. I just wanted to marry each and every one of, of them course. at a d- different time. My mm-hmm. crush has changed, you know, but it wasn't like. I felt that I belonged with them. Yeah. It wasn't until a lot later, all the way up until I moved down here. Finally, when I moved down here, I was like, maybe I do belong in this world. Yeah. You know, so it took a long time to associate that way. So mm-hmm. everything was more ephemeral. My, my appreciation for something was more ephemeral. Can you remember a moment when you first sort of felt like you were actually participating in that very thing? Um, I mean, the very first moments, I like, it's funny because now I, I still have... I still, I constantly, and I, and I know Cole does too, certainly because of Sketchfest, but now because of just my, my the rest of my career as, an, as a performer, as a writer, I still have moments over and over where, where a wave of like, oh my God, 14, 13, 12-year-old me would have lost their shit yes, yeah. that I'm doing this thing right now. Mm-hmm. And I feel that way every time I, every time Paul emails me to see if I'm available for spontaneation, I'm like, God, that, how did that happen? <laughs> God, mm-hmm. you know, I can't, What? Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, I definitely think, I think that when, by the time I started doing sketch, and even though I would think I was insecure as a writer, as a performer doing sketch, even in San Francisco, there just weren't that many girls doing it at all okay. in San Francisco. There are, I can think of two others. No oh boy. Really. I mean, I can wow. think of one girl from one of the group, you know, we partnered with five other groups mm-hmm. to form Sketchfest. Unless I'm mistaken... I feel like there was one one girl in one group, one girl in another group, and me, and then everybody else was a boy in this in this in, the, in that sketch world. Um, and so I do think I felt like, like I pretty quickly was like, oh, I'm okay at this. Like this is I'm pretty good at this. Wow, mm-hmm. this is a thing I maybe could have done for a lot longer if I had known right, this. Right. Um, and so when we started bringing headliners in from out of town. And when I started kind of auditioning for stuff, I remember one of the first, maybe the first pilot season even, that I came to L.A. for, um, I guess I came for one year and then, I mean, I came for the the first pilot season I came for, I just stayed and moved to L.A. from there because I started working. But I remember auditioning for an improv show with Kevin McDonald and feeling like... Like half of me, and this sounds, I hope this doesn't sound so too pompous or like patty on the backy, but <laughs> I definitely, half of me definitely was like, holy shit, I'm auditioning with Kevin McDonald. Sure. But I guess the other part of me was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm auditioning with Kevin McDonald. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And, um, 
and and those two were having a conversation that were like, shut up. What do you feel like you get to audition with Kim? Like, well, I'm not that bad. I mean, I'll do a good job. I won't embarrass us. You know what I mean? Like there was that sort of conversation happening, yeah. which I guess is not dissimilar from what I just said about Spontaneous Nation. There's still stuff where, you know, like what a tremendous gift to get to work with past heroes and mm-hmm. then like present day heroes. Like somebody... Like Jimmy Pardo, who I didn't know until I came to L.A., mm-hmm. I saw him. It was one of the first live shows I went to. was his talk show that he would do at M-Bar. Mm-hmm. And we had a friend in common, and, and we were introduced. And then I proceeded to watch him do a show, and I was like, oh, he's the funniest person I've ever seen. I yeah. mean, for, for yeah. the second I moved down here, it was like Paul F. and Jimmy Pardo became, like, my heroes. Mm-hmm. My, fa- my favorite famous, you know, in my mind, like, famous and, you know. Yeah successful comedians and and uh they were they both felt like they were doing something that was familiar but different Mm -hmm. um and to kind of get to a place where i felt like they you know respected me still feels like how did i get so lucky right know, because these are people i just would have loved as a fan if i hadn't left san francisco if i hadn't started sketch fest whatever eventually i would have come into understanding and knowing and appreciating who some of these people are and um Boy, I will never ever take for granted that that I get to you know interact with them and work with them. That's like the best part of my job, right? Is getting to be around people that you think are better than you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a perfect parallel too with comedy minus one too. I mean, you're talking about this whole idea of uh, holy shit, I get to do this, and of course I get to do this. There's like this. He's working with a man who I have to assume George Jessel had to have been a hero of his. Yeah. He's, there's two things going on here. Celebrating George Jessel, celebrating comedy, and then wasting the time that he has with George Jessel by doing this stupid right, bit. Right, right, right. The stupid fi- 10 to 15 minute yeah. bit. Yeah. But it was a really long bit. So there's this, there's, this, there's this great thing where you get to, you know what, I'm here, I, can't, I can waste my time with this and enjoy it. But if I'm going to waste my time and do it in the most creative way possible, there's just there's, again, it's it's super meta. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's it's the way it's that's uh, that self awareness that a lot of comedians have, where they're like, I need to feel confident that I'm allowed to do. I need to feel like I'm allowed to do this, and yeah. also I really need to enjoy this, or I'm going to fucking get cynical real quick. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And this this album like kind of embodies that. You're right. I mean, that's a really good point. And I I guess I hadn't thought about that because when I revisited the album, I didn't go get all the way to comedy minus one. Sure. So I'm like remembering the last time I listened to it, but. It's it's definitely true that once you once you're willing to strip away and be and show yourself as a nerd for someone else, mm-hmm. you're automatically and having comedy minus one being like, and also you guys deserve to participate in this mm-hmm. as much as I deserve to participate in this with George. Yeah, that there is this sort of like welcoming in, and that's I guess that's what my podcast is about too. Is yeah. like I'm not interested in creating this front of like I live in this bubble that you will never have access to because I'm on television sure Um, I feel the opposite of that I feel like that's a terrible way for people to think of someone and Mm -hmm. that 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 the only thing that uh, feels like right to me is to just constantly remind people like no 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 no, they're people Mm -hmm. yeah they're all people I know I can't prove to you that some you know that I know I know 13 year old girl that I can't prove to you that the model on the cover of this magazine has been photoshopped and she's a person and she's right. a da, da, da. And you can sort of hear that and you can be told that and, and it doesn't, I don't know if it sinks in, but I think if you're just listening to two people talk about the realities of feeling insecure yeah. and all of that kind of stuff on a regular basis, like I would prefer have that rather than have like, well, no one, you know, at the time no one knew that Marilyn Monroe, blah, 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 or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just like yeah. the pressure to feel... Like, God forbid, you know, you go to the grocery store without your makeup and stuff like that. I just don't have any time for it all. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I mean, it's more, and I'm not normally going to bring this up just because you're a woman, but I think that is much more powerful for a woman to be able to say in Hollywood, like, it's okay for any dude to be a schlub. Yeah. And to admit that you're not even a schlub, but oh, I don't wear makeup, big, fu-. you know what I mean? Like, that. that's way more powerful than yeah. I think people are going to appreciate. Especially if you're talking, I mean, so, I mean, if you're directing it to people who are just oozing insecurity you know and like that that's the kind of thing i i I feel like the podcasts are being able i mean i'm doing nothing i mean i'm just doing the stupid thing where i talk to people about their favorite comedy and that's that's great no it's great but i uh, no, and it's and it's great i'm I'm not trying to undersell like i love 
I love doing this. But I do think it, it's nice that there are podcasts that actually have like a, a social aspect to it, whether that's directly stated or not. Well, you wouldn't want everything to be just that one thing. Like I wouldn't want sure. every podcast no. to be like mine or I'd be like, Ugh, of course let's, not. let's no, turn no. off Oprah for a second, everybody. <laughs> um, nor would I, you know, want everything to be a movie review show. And I'm glad right. that the people that are doing what they're doing uh, create those those opportunities to listen all across the board. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and I and I also respect that there there are some podcasts where I have turned off where I finally realize oh this person's gotten a little too famous to be doing this anymore um, and I'll turn it off completely yeah. because I, I do like it when when people will, even if they're doing it's okay you want to know if somebody's doing well yeah. that's great but you want to still be a fan of them and want them to do well still yeah you know, it's it's really rough like there's a it's a fine for yeah. a line to yeah. walk you know what I mean I do um so let's. All right. Is there is there any track or anything we haven't talked about on the album that you might want to talk about? I mean, I'm just looking to see kind of what uh, what else we haven't really covered. It's not like it's the longest album in the world. Sure. No. I mean, it's um, the longest part of it is comedy minus one, and that's just, yeah. You know, and it is, that's the other thing. The weird thing too is if you are listening to it without the script, it's one joke. It's one note. Oh, but yeah. Like you want to keep listening. Yeah. You know, because I think the first time I heard it, I didn't. I might not have known about the script aspect, and then Cole eventually messaged me like, "Here's a picture of all the the whole script." So you right, can right, right. Thank you because I couldn't find it online. Yeah, you can't find it online anywhere anymore. Um, so, but yeah, there's it is this one note joke sort of, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think I mean, again, it just kind of goes to. I don't know. Like even I was thinking about the, the because there's this little man on the street portion, which is obviously not a real. thing but it but like but before you know what a real thing is versus not a real thing you sort of are like no wait is this a person what how did why would he you know Mm. and i like the gentleness of that too i mean i think there's that speaking of like drawing that line the line for me of i mean the daily show very early on like crossed it for me and and i and i loved it as a show and it was brilliant but like i would get to a place very quickly where, and, and the same with like Borat and, mm-hmm. you know, I would just be like, oh, now I'm really uncomfortable. And yeah. people's thresholds for that is wildly sure. different and mine's not right and someone else's isn't wrong. Right, 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 right. But I, when I hit the point of like, okay, now this is really about humiliating this other person, mm-hmm. whether they kind of deserve it or, you know, maybe they don't deserve it and it's just, it seems so innocent because you're not really doing anything. That I have a trouble with that. I am like a really empathetic person and it's, yeah. and, and, and it's a weird line to walk in comedy. Um, and I would never try to stop someone else from doing it, I don't think. But sure. um, but that's an example of something with him. It's like, it's so gentle, you know? It's like, even if it were real, mm-hmm. I remember doing Man on the Street stuff where, you know, if, if, it, if it somehow turns back on you in some way, yeah. then that feels like whatever the other person went through, you're, you don't come out looking like a genius either. You're sort right. of willing to poke fun at yourself or, you know, I mean like the, the extent, like, like Paul and I, when I was on dinner in a movie, we did this, um, one man on the street thing in San Francisco or at the farmer's market. And yes, it was absolutely like exploiting how much people love being on camera no mm-hmm. matter what. Mm-hmm. But the but the joke for us was like we were asking people what their favorite episode of Dinner in a Movie was or we would talk to them about it and it was so clear they had no idea what we were. Well, that's just as embarrassing for us yeah, as course, it for, is for them. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's where like the give and take for me feels comfortable. And I think that's, again, that's like something that's inherent to Albert Brooks, which is like, I may be able to make fun of this, but like we all know I'm an idiot too, right? Good, okay, we got that. Great, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that whole leveling of the playing field that doesn't have to be done, but is not. Like, because that's something that uh, Steve Martin doesn't do as actively. He definitely does. Like, I'm a fucking idiot, so enjoy. Right, but he's not as inclusive. Right, right, right. Yeah, he's always been more. I think there's. I think for for with him. There was always, to me, a sense that he knew he was special, <laughs> for better or for worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was, and he sure, is absolutely. But yeah, I think there's a remove. There's there's more removal than than I felt from someone like Albert I can Brooks. see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So if you're gonna recommend this album to somebody who hasn't ever heard it before, mm-hmm. and if you can condense that, like maybe you don't know who Albert Brooks is, or you know who Albert Brooks is, but you don't know that he has two really heavily influential experimental comedy albums. Yeah. Why listen to this one? Um, I mean, I would say you get a really strong sense of 
everything we talked about, where the deconstruction of the thing he wants to do, it's like he's doing the thing he wants to do, which is to be a stand-up comedian and have a live show and have a live set and release part of his live set. But he also wants to sort of explore what that even means and why that would be a thing Mm -hmm. with you. And that it is, you do feel very engaged and there's and just listening to an album that's a, a live stand-up show is great but like it's very genius how he draws you in at the beginning and it is just you and him and mm-hmm. he's telling you his friend the listener <laughs> you know what's about to happen and mm-hmm. um and that there's there's something about that that just like it pulls you in from the beginning and because there are so many different elements and levels to this album um, it gives you a really, I think it gives you a really good picture of like where all of this kind of self-referential meta stuff mm-hmm. comes from Yeah, that is so pervasive now. For a second, it was making me think, well, that's not unlike, uh, let's say like a, if we watch a concert film where Eddie Murphy's in the back or backstage and I'm like, no, actually it's the exact opposite because that's meant to, you're supposed to be totally removed from Eddie Murphy and fucking worshiping him from the yeah. second you see him backstage, even in his goofy ass leather suit. You're yeah. Like for a second, I'm like, that's the same thing. No, it's the exact opposite. It's like you're here. We, we're, we're I, I know I'm the one going out on stage, but like this is our thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That's, oh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. I don't. I, I wonder how this would if have translated. Not necessarily this, but this style would have translated to a TV special. Had they been a thing around seventy three, you know, like that's a good question. Because it, it, obviously he didn't need to. He moved on to movies. That's right. fine. He, he uh, right. moved on to and mastered filmmaking. But yeah, I did, it's just a thought. That's all. No, I think that's a really good question because it's kind of it's it, it's it's a really quick little jump to mm-hmm. think about these other bits happening. It's very easy to picture him with this fake person on the street. You know, mm-hmm. it's very easy mm-hmm. to picture him walking into a store. You know, as if he's just with a hidden camera or whatever. Right. Um, but that, but then that's a whole convert. That's like a whole separate episode of a conversation, which is, is he doing something that sort of predates podcasts mm-hmm. and is more talk radio in the sense that um, that it's there's an intimacy in not seeing him do those things and in fact just having him in your ears. Yeah. Uh, that I think is one of the reasons that people still respond so strongly to podcasts. You mm-hmm. know, to, to go quote unquote backwards where you are just listening to a voice mm-hmm. opposed to watching them and listening to them. Um, that there's something that happens there that is uh, that creates a, a relationship to what you're listening to that's that's different and more intimate than um, it's like the bridge between watching TV and reading a book almost. Yeah, that's perfect. Do you, okay, so what do you have to promote? Where can people find you, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, I will always promote my JV Club podcast, which mm-hmm. is available anywhere you can get podcasts, and uh, it's on the Nerdist Network. Um, I I mean, those, that's a big one. On my website, you'll see like I do a lot of convention appearances for this show. I used to be on Color Legend of Korra, but mm-hmm. it's still going strong in the kind of fandom world. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I love being on Spontanea Nation. Uh, any thrilling adventure hour stuff. We're not doing our regular show at Largo, but anything that you see pop up online for that, if I'm a part of, please support that. Um, it's a great podcast as well. You can go back and listen to other episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then, you know, I'm shooting season two of uh, You're the Worst, which I'm in some of. Um, I was gone a lot, but it's mm-hmm. uh, it's such a funny, great show on FXX. Whatever that is. Uh, and uh, and so that'll happen, I guess, in the fall. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm on Twitter, at Janet Varney. Pretty at easy. Janet Varney. Thank you for doing this. Jason, thank you so much. It was really fun revisiting this. It, it, it was a Makes lot of fun. Makes me even more confident that one day I will get to... Well, you know what? I did huh. a podcast episode with Kimberly Brooks, Albert Brooks' wife. Really? So if you are interested, she's um, an incredible uh, visual artist mm-hmm. and a writer and a, an instructor. Um, and... Uh, in her own right, and, and mm-hmm. she's a fascinating, funny, wonderful woman. So she, that that was a really fun episode to do. That's awesome. So um, I now I have one step away. That's so good. Which Actually, is not the reason that I had her on. I just I no. totally know her from something completely different. But that's awesome. Yeah. I, I actually that's one thing that's always fascinated me too is I, I've had the opportunity to interview one or two people who are related to people who I love. Yeah. <laughs> like so like George Carlin's daughter. 
Kelly Carlin, mm-hmm. who is an equal talent mm-hmm. in her own right. Lovely woman. Like, but you know, you have to balance that out and not be a dick. Like, let's just talk. About, but she was totally willing to talk about her dad for an hour. Yeah. But like, that is one of the fun things about doing shows like this is you get this new perspective. It's like, what was it like living with one of my heroes? Yeah. And, you, and she was willing to talk about it. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Good crap. Um, I was going to ask you, have you ever done, I, I should have asked in the full interview part, but have you ever been on a comedy album since they're not that common? That's common a great anymore? question. I, in a weird way, I mean, I feel like my answer should be straight out no. But uh-huh. for some reason, I wonder if there is one that I might somehow be on in some way. Because I, 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 I randomly, I will it. meet people who are like, oh yeah, you know what? I did a voice in the background in this one album. Yeah, I like, know. I don't, I don't Thanks. I mean, I'm like, I'm not on the comedy Death Ray album, so I wasn't really okay. doing anything yet when they did that. Okay. I don't know. I guess I must not be. So seems like a stupid thing. I would, <laughs> I'm sure I would know if I were, right? I'm sure I would know if I were. Well. But I don't know. It's like I've done some stuff with Casper Hauser once in okay. a while. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I just don't know. Or like if White Noise did something and I just, I just don't, but I don't think, certainly not anything that I had a lot to do with. Right, um, right. Uh, if I was lucky enough to be a part of anything. I wasn't in a huge capacity. Sure, sure. You might be able to hear me laughing on someone's comedy special. I have a very loud laugh. <laughs> uh, well, again, thank you for doing this. Uh, not to repeat myself. My pleasure. Thank you for allowing me here to record you. And my pleasure. Thank you guys for listening. And Thanks, as always, guys. have a good thing. Yeah, have a good thing, guys. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. listen to other podcasts that sound like this today on the pistache cast we're going to be talking about the pistachio's closest cousin the mango when you could be listening to this do you think there's ever been a moment on the show one of them accidentally reveals there's a body in his trunk (laughs) he's just so enthused to talk about cars like it's an amazing car like i've hid 12 bodies in there there's not take them down You can take them down to the pier. No one will even know. Listen to the Dan and Jay's Comedy Hour podcast every Monday at www.danandjay.com.